This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Fear often precedes and preempts the need for change. But when a global pandemic necessitated the need for change, marketers around the world sprung into action, enabling new strategies and mobilizing campaigns everywhere. Diaz Nezimoni, the CEO of Javox, joined Marketing Trends to discuss how the pandemic empowered marketers everywhere to attempt new strategies. Plus, he touches on why digital marketing is going up the funnel and how the elimination of cookies will be good for both markets and consumers. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Diaz. What's going on? Hi, Ian. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited today. We're going to talk about advertising. We're going to talk about everything you got going on at Javox and your background in technology. So before we get into that, how did you get started in marketing in the first place? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. I, um, you know, my background before I started uh, Jivox was in enterprise software. I made two prior companies, and after I left my second company, I was just thinking about what part of a big global organization is least automated and has made the least use of technology. And marketing came right to the top of the list. And uh, you know, so being a uh, technologist and a software entrepreneur, I said, well, wherever there's the least use of technology, there's likely to be the most need. So that's um, how I ended up starting Jirox in the field of marketing. Yeah. And so flash forward to today, tell me about, for our listeners who don't know about the company and about where you're at. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, uh, when we started out, I have to admit it was a little challenging uh, and, you know, Marketing was indeed using very little technology, but that also meant that there was a lot of education to be done and a lot of, you know, adoption um, and just even explaining what the benefits of the technology was to an audience that was further complicated by the fact that there were intermediaries like agencies involved in the mix. Uh, so it was a lot more complex and complicated than, than I envisioned. But uh, over the last, uh, you know, uh, four or five years, it's been quite exciting and quite phenomenal, uh, primarily as marketing teams transitioned or transitioning to digital marketing and therefore much more understanding of digital technology and how it plays a role in uh, everything from efficiencies to being able to do things that they uh, weren't able to do with traditional uh, marketing methods. So. So it was a tough uh, slog in the early couple of years, but I think the most recent uh, couple of years have been uh, quite exciting and, and uh, indicative of a pretty uh, great opportunity ahead. So what are the types of companies that you work with? So we t- tend to work with large uh, Fortune 1000, Global 2000 companies. So these are, um, it's a mix of, I would say primarily business to consumer uh, companies. Uh, there are a few business to business, but mostly business consumer companies. They all have uh, a good amount of complexity to their business, either because they have many different product lines and brands and so on, 
They have geographic complexity, meaning that they have uh, businesses running across the globe. They have some level of organizational complexities internally across different divisions, different markets, uh, different brands. And even within those, there's agencies and so on. So data is the other area where data itself is collected in so many different ways. And from a personalization standpoint, obviously, data is quite uh, crucial. So, so our platform is built to handle and manage that complexity and also to do it at scale, which is what a lot of these uh, global uh, companies need. Yeah, and I think you know there's a there's a rise of you know the the data driven marketer. I'm sure you work with a ton of folks like that. Can you explain a little bit how your your technology helps people you know with things like APIs and data integration? Yeah, sure. So you know I think digital marketing's promise has always been about the ability to get more precise with your marketing, right? So you look at you know traditional marketing, which was TV, print, and so on. It was kind of a broadcast, one-size-fits-all message um, to everyone. And so that's, that's been the promise of digital marketing. And it's taken some time. To, obviously, digital marketing has been around for a while now. It's taken some time because initially, it was just about getting your messaging on the digital platforms, which largely has happened. But to make it relevant and precise down to an individual, a key ingredient is data, which has only recently become available. So I think we're starting to see the promise of data-driven marketing finally come to fruition, where you can increase the precision of your messaging, which you couldn't do traditionally with TV or with print, and which is becoming increasingly important because consumers, um, you know, generally speaking, have always had a bit of a love-hate relationship with advertising, you know, in the sense that they they do want to know about products and um, exciting new things from brands, but at the same time, you know, they want it to be relevant to them. So just the, the just the sheer number of ads that they have to deal with every day and every possible dis- device and media form that they consume can get overwhelming, especially if it's not relevant to them, right? So I think consumers have been demanding relevance for quite some time, and that relevance means precision. It means personalization. And that means data, right? So I think as data has become more available, as it is, the precision of the data has increased, I think brands have been able to get much more precise with their messaging. And that's when they're seeing the true lift in engagement and um, conversion or uh, however marketing campaigns are measured or whatever the objective is. So, so it feels a little bit like, you know, while digital marketing has been around, for some time, it is now starting to deliver on that promise of better uh, ROI for marketers, but also better experience for consumers. Yeah, I want to talk about the ROI piece. So what are some of the ways that your customers are able to show that ROI? What are some of the things that they're doing to be able to justify you know, these campaigns, especially digital campaigns? That's something we've, we're thinking about a lot, especially right now, and, and our customers are thinking about it a lot, especially with you know, the current state of the economy and kind of looking forward. So ROI is becoming quite important. Now, when you when you talk about personalization, one of the things that became apparent to brands very quickly when they embarked on the idea of personalization, and of course, it was pretty obvious and common knowledge that relevance and precise messaging produces better results. So that was never in question. What brands quickly found out that it can get 
quite expensive to do that, right? So if you think of the idea of one message, one ad to everybody versus many very precise ads, precise messages to individuals across many channels, the cost did go up significantly. And a big part of the cost increase is in creative production and content production, right? So so that's the first thing that uh, these brands realize that the cost could go up significantly. So that's where automation uh, is quite important. That's a big part of what our platform does is essentially helps with what we call versioning of uh, creative and content, right? So if you have an overall design or uh, message uh, format that you come up with, how do you then vary it in different languages for different products, for different audiences, for different contextual environments that the consumer is in? All of that is um, automated through our technology, and that's where they've seen significant ROI. In other words, getting to that level of precision would have otherwise increased costs significantly from a creative and content production standpoint. And this automation essentially brings those costs down significantly. So that's one part of the ROI. The second is that, you know, relevance increases engagement, right? So an engagement leads to more sales and revenue and, and so on and so forth. So this kind of technology, dynamic creative and personalization technology, actually does deliver significant amounts of ROI and is one of the few technologies that has more than one proposition from an ROI standpoint, meaning bringing production costs down and increasing engagement and uh, media ROI. And you're seeing, you know, the folks that use your platform, are they using like everything under the sun? Are they using, you know, out of home? Are they using digital? Are they using Facebook and Google? Like, I mean, clearly everybody is thinking omni-channel now. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on omni-channel? Yeah. Um, you know, when, when we started working with many of our customers, the idea of personalization was, was primarily around concepts like retargeting, right? So somebody goes to a brand's website, they look at a product and you show them that product, right? So it's pretty simple and pretty straightforward. And most of that was done through banner ads. And while that was quite effective at uh, generating better engagement, it also was annoying for some consumers because oftentimes they would have already purchased the product and they see that same product over and over again. So I think the level of sophistication then was to add more intelligence to that process. If somebody's already purchased it, don't show them that but perhaps make um, recommendations of other things that might be of interest to them. So there's a level of intelligence that uh, was added to that. And then the very next thing was uh, omni-channel, right? Because consumers often look, uh, do their research on one channel, share it with their friends or get their opinions from social media, and then purchase um, on another channel, right? So they... So the idea that you just used one format like banners to try to get engagement quickly gave way to an omni-channel approach, right? And uh, omni-channel, you know, is quite important, not just because consumers are using many different channels to arrive at a decision to buy, but it also allows a, a level of engagement where your messaging is responsive to the stage of development the consumer is at, right? So in other words, if they're just doing research at the initial phases or you're just building awareness around the product, there's a certain type of messaging you want to focus on. 
Whereas if they've already done their research and, and data tells you all this, right? So the, the data that uh, is collected tells a brand a lot about what phase in their journey to purchase they are. And if you can do that across channels and you do get an accurate picture, and that's the other part of relevance, right? So if, if someone is in the research phase of trying to uh, look at a particular product or a particular product category, giving them a very compelling uh, discount or offer isn't that useful, right? Because they, they haven't quite completely understood the product or what the various capabilities are and what the options are. So you would want to focus a little bit more on that. Whereas if you know that they've already done that and they've passed that point, then maybe it's that offer, that special offer, or more details about a specific benefit or feature might be more helpful. So, so I think you know, omni-channel coupled with tracking or the ability to understand where in the journey the consumer is, is really where brands are trying to go. Now, having said that, for most brands that we work with, this is quite new, right? And so our recommendation has been don't try to do everything all at once, right? Because the complexity can be overwhelming. And there's also changes in ways of working that have to happen. So for example, brands that have traditionally been using more traditional media like TV and print, even the way content and creative is produced um, has to change, right? And, you know, the internal teams or the agencies they work with may not be that used to digital tools. So there is some level of education, some level of transformation that has to happen along with it. So while, you know, even today the technology is available to go omni-channel and to do things at a greater level of sophistication, we always recommend that you adopt the technology in line with your level of maturity as a brand. And that approach uh, seems to have worked well. There is a great desire, I think, uh, from brands to present that single, consistent view and user experience to the consumer, so that regardless of what channel they're in, they're getting that same experience. So that's there, but I think uh, taking it one step at a time and uh, deploying the technology in such a way that it's a well-managed and well-orchestrated process seems to work out best. Yeah, you talked a little bit about personalization. I'm curious, where do you think that the industry is going? You know, where are cookies going? Yeah, so that's been quite an interesting dialogue in the industry uh, for, let's say, the last couple of years is the, the balance between privacy and personalization, right? And so, you know, cookies going away is, has been a, a pretty significant impact to the industry. Now, it hasn't completely gone away, uh, but it's expected to in the next year and a half or so when Google uh, Chrome does away with their party cookies. So that and the privacy regulations and so on have all, on one hand, made it challenging for marketers and for the technologies that they use to create personalization. But on the other hand, I do believe that it is, it is bringing about standardization and more privacy compliant ways of doing it, right? So uh, if I compare it back to, you know, kind of my early uh, days in enterprise software, if you look at many of the categories of software, the real growth in the industry actually came about when standards were agreed upon, right, by the various stakeholders. So when you talk about cookies and data collection, when we started out with digital marketing and with data-driven marketing, it was kind of the Wild West, right? Those uh, third-party cookies, which are never really designed for data collection, being used and 
uh, those cookies would expire, so you had to then sync between different systems to try to make sure it was the same person you were identifying. So it was kind of a mishmash of stuff. And as a result, uh, I think that data was misused. It was used for the wrong purposes than what it was collected for. So now when standards come in and cookies get taken away and so on, I think it forces the industry to come together and say, we have to standardize, we have to create secure and privacy compliant ways and consent based methods of collecting data and using it for exactly the purpose that the consumer gave the brand permission to. So, so in some ways, you could look at it and say, oh, a lot of the privacy issues and the going of the cookie is a threat to personalization. I actually think it brings a lot of um, order and standards to uh, personalization, which if you look back in the history of most types of software, has actually uh, increased adoption. And I, so, so I think overall, it's a significant benefit because it forces companies in the market to innovate. It forces them to comply with standards. It forces them to comply with regulations. And when that happens, I think customer adoption increases. So brands feel more comfortable doing personalization when they know that they can be compliant and when they know that the platforms that they pick will be compliant because it's clear what compliance means, right? So, you know, we were quite excited actually to see some of the regulations happen. And even the uh, taking away of uh, third-party cookies led us to develop our IQID technology, which actually relies on first-party domains to do the data collection, uses consent uh, management systems to make sure the data we collect is consented data. So that was, um, those were all great developments in, in our minds because it actually makes personalization, it legitimizes it, it gives it a framework and uh, uh, compliance frameworks to operate within. And we have already seen greater adoption as a result of that. You mentioned that the early days uh, were a bit of a rocky start. Can you go into that? Yeah. So the rocky start was um, partly the ecosystem and then the maturity, right, of this uh, market, right? So I think the, the ecosystem was quite complex, right? You had most brands didn't have, uh, as it is related to digital advertising, didn't have much internally. So everything was outsourced to agencies and, and so on. So it was very, very fragmented. You know, even within a brand, you would find they were working with 5, 10, 15 agencies in one market, right? And then you multiplied that across the globe. I mean, we, uh, we talk to brands even today that have thousands of agencies that are working with across the globe, and it's just staggering. It's very, very fragmented because of the way traditional media operated, right? So that was one big hurdle, and we had to kind of power through that and kind of navigate through that and got, it was incredibly expensive as a company to do that because when you got adoption in one market with one brand, with one agency, replicating that across even that one customer was very difficult and very, very expensive. So that was a big hurdle uh, that we had to struggle with. The second hurdle was the marketers themselves. I mean, uh, most marketing teams, even at fairly senior levels, and especially at fairly senior levels, came from non-digital backgrounds, right? So they had their own learning curves, and they also lacked the internal uh, expertise to help them understand how to deploy digital marketing technology, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it's quite a battle, you know, and um, it's, uh, you know, having 
been through two uh, startups and grown two companies before this, I knew that the early stages of a market was are always challenging and you have to kind of get through that to get to the mass adoption phase, which I think we're, we're now entering. But even knowing that, it was quite challenging and, you know, you have to use all your motivation and all your, you know, energy to try to navigate through that and find the best path through it. So, yeah, it was... Um, you know, but that's that's life in uh, in startup world, right? Like you, you look at a problem and you sometimes are too early, sometimes you're too late, and when you're too early, sometimes you just have to persist through it. And uh, and if you do, the rewards are handsome because you may be one of the few companies that that managed to get through that. Yeah, it is. Uh, as we say in in storytelling, the dark night of the soul when you have to, uh, you know, try to get through that. Were there any particular stories from that time where you felt like, you know, the team, uh, you really had to push through something particularly difficult? Yeah, I think one of the most challenging and confusing aspects of our initial attempts to break into the market is, you know, we, our technology obviously automates uh, creative content and messaging, right? So one would have thought that um, where you went to some of the technology was to creative teams. Well, we were very wrong because uh, at that time, you know, creative teams, first of all, were largely doing creative for TV and print and so on. So their view of creative and messaging was the one-size-fits-all mindset, right? So that was one. And then secondly, they did not believe that software had any role in creative. You know, the, the mindset was, well, creative is... Is creative. It's you know, it's a human thing, and it's an emotion thing, and so on. And of course, that is true. But I think it was quite a struggle to get them to see the benefits of automation in creative, right? So that was a struggle. And uh, you know, where we saw the adoption, interestingly enough, was with media teams, right? And the push and the adoption, and even to this day, actually. Surprisingly, the big push to get dynamic and personalized creative has come from the media side of marketing teams. And the reason is because they were driven by the performance benefits of precise creative and precise personalization. They saw that if you could tailor your messaging and make it very relevant to consumers, you got high engagement. So they looked at the problem very differently and said, how do we bring more automation into the process? Because they were well aware that if you tried to personalize your creative and content and the cost went up significantly, that would negate any benefits you got from the, the precision. So it was quite a battle. And you know, I remember thinking, gosh, you know, why, why don't they get it? You know, on the creative side of the agencies and so on. But then I realized we were talking to the wrong buyer, right? And I think um, once we quickly realized where the real benefit was and where, where the, it was easy for them to understand the benefits. And actually, because they were not uh, the incumbents, so to speak, that were doing uh, creative and making money off of it, it was an easier thing for them to push for it. Now it's changed. I, I think we've definitely seen a lot of uh, creative agencies and production agencies and so on say, okay, this is great because you know it's about communication and, and communication should be relevant, it should be precise. Etc. So the mindset is changing, but boy, it was quite a quite a battle in the early days, just just trying to get an audience for what we do. 
You wrote a book, Personalized Digital Advertising. Uh, I'm curious, what was the, uh, what was the impetus for, uh, for writing the book? Well, actually, it was um, uh, what I just described, which is that that book came a little bit out of a sense of frustration, which was, what's wrong with this picture? Why is it so hard to get brands to understand uh, why things should be personalized and why you should use data to create relevance and why you should use automation to create precise messaging. So I assumed um, that it was an education issue, right? And it's a complex issue, right? If you you think about it, it touches many, many parts of uh, a marketing organization, right? It touches the creative side of things. It touches production. It touches media. It touches data. So, you know, uh, because of its complexity, I felt like if I could take the time and write a book about it and explain not only the need and the imperative to do it, but also the how to go about it, right? So sort of a handbook uh, of how you approach it, what the hurdles are likely to be, how you get around it. There was also a bit of a focus on case studies, which was to try to, you know, also say this is not all hypothetical, theoretical stuff. This is real. So I actually spoke to some of our customers and uh, asked if they would write, um, you know, a couple of pages um, citing their view of the world uh, and their experience with personalization. So it was an interesting project and a fun one because it was a little bit like, you know, creating a revolution, right? Where you initially struggle with getting the idea across, getting people to see the value and so on. And so I think uh, it's interesting. I, I wrote that book, gosh, probably about, eight or nine years ago and it feels like it's it's now all of a sudden very very relevant well i so that was going to be my follow-up question so if you were to go back and amend uh, anything or to add some chapters what would you add well i would uh definitely add you know at that time you know i, I did talk about the idea of omni-channel but uh you know at that time even social media was so new it was hard to tell uh, how much of an influence it would have on consumers, right? And platforms like TikTok and other newer platforms didn't even exist at that time, right? So, so I would definitely talk more about, you know, how consumer behaviors change substantially. I, I do remember writing about that, but I think it, at that time, I clearly even underestimated how big a change that is and that you know, if I were to go back and revise the book, I would definitely put a lot more emphasis on that. I actually think that I would probably, this is a good time to add to that book because I think what's happened just in the last two, three months is going to have a significant transformative effect on digital marketing and on personalization. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, thinking about it a couple of weeks ago saying, gosh, you know, maybe I should not rewrite the book because a lot of it is quite still quite relevant, but add to it in the context of uh, what has happened with uh, COVID-19. Yeah, let's get into that. So what do you think are the large scale changes that are kind of like the short, medium, long term? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of thinking about that uh, because obviously as a, as a company in this market, we, we want to make sure we align our strategy, our product roadmap, and so on. Um, keeping in mind what 
COVID-19 has caused and is causing in marketing. And it's, uh, it's been quite a, a fascinating process just to think it through. There's both immediate and near-term and perhaps in the longer term implications of uh, COVID-19 on marketing. First and foremost is, you know, a lot of marketers we, we talk to and I talk to are, are trying to, you know, kind of manage their, their budgets, right? Because when sales goes down, when revenue goes down, when consumers are not out there shopping and buying and, and so on and so forth, it definitely has an impact on the company's revenue and therefore on marketing budgets. So there's a lot going on there. And so cost savings is, uh, is quite important to these brands, meaning they're trying to figure out how quickly can we realize some cost savings to help us continue doing what we're doing. And there, this uh, idea I was talking about earlier about saving on production costs and, and making creative and content more efficient has resonated very well with brands. In fact, even this week, I was speaking to some very senior uh, marketers and that that's like a big deal, right? They're now, you no, know, they've talked about it for quite some time, but I think now it's become a necessity as opposed to a nice to have, right? So I think, I think that's uh, been one. The second is, you know, just the fact that at least temporarily, and my belief is perhaps even permanently, the way consumers buy has changed, obviously, even in the last uh, several months, but is actually, I think, changing permanently because of both the reluctance or the fear of going to retail stores, going to restaurants, going to all the you know, places people bought products, to doing it online. Uh, and so the, the, just the fear is going to continue for some time. But also, you know, uh, someone was saying the other day about the fact it takes 60 days to learn a new habit and then it becomes permanent. I think we've all learned to do things digitally that perhaps we didn't do before. And when you do that, that becomes kind of a permanent habit. So that's a great point. I think, you know, brands, whether it's selling their products online, I was surprised actually at how little of uh, retail brands uh, sold their product via e-commerce, right? Of course, we know about Amazon and all that, but if you take a brand and say how much of your product were you selling online versus through retail. Uh, it was, it's a staggering amount still sold through brick and mortar retail, right? And so that's changing and changing very, very quickly. I mean, if you look at the numbers, it's just staggering as to how quickly sales has had to shift online. And that means a lot to marketing, right? Because after all, it's marketing that drives sales. So you, if you, if you have to get consumers to go online to your e-commerce site versus go to the store. It's a different style of marketing, right? It's more very precise, very product-driven, not big uh, brand messaging. So that's the second big thing. And I think, I think some brands will figure it out quickly. They will pivot quickly and they will spend the money they need to, to do that. Others won't. And I think there's going to be significant market share gains by companies that uh, can pivot quickly and, and do that. It requires investment in e-commerce technology and in digital marketing technology that can do that one-to-one precision marketing. And so we're seeing a lot of demand from brands that are doing that, but that is a big and and, and permanent change uh, that's happening. Just the agility, right? I mean, I had so many conversations with uh, brands right in the middle, smack in the middle of COVID, 
where they were saying, well, we've, we're shut down in some parts of the country, so we want our messaging there to be more, you know, kind of, you know, empathetic and so on and so forth. But there are other parts of the country where we they're being reopened. There, of course, we want to go back to more of a sales-driven messaging. And, you know, that was kind of music to my ears because I said, well, that's the whole value of dynamic creative, right? You want messaging tailored to different regions, different individuals. So, so agile uh, marketing, agile messaging, and the ability to change your messaging on a dime uh, without having to go through a very long and painful creative and production process is the third thing. I think brands are going to have to be very agile going forward, not just because we expect COVID to happen again, but for a variety of reasons, competitive pricing, market events, uh, contextual uh, changes that are happening in a customer's environment. So these are all things that I think uh, will stay with us well beyond uh, COVID-19. Yeah, I think it's uh, those are all brilliant points. And with regards to the agility piece, I think that the way that marketers craft campaigns will completely change because of exactly what you said, that you need to have the agility to change the particular copy of the day or the time of day or, you know, before a long weekend, after a long weekend, all those things that we've kind of like generally been you know, used to. It's like, okay, well, we know that our marketing on Friday before Labor Day is going to be different than Monday Labor Day. But the truth of the matter is that that could happen kind of at any time. And, you know, the way that people construct their campaigns from like, you know, a large scale, hey, this is going to be what we're running for the next, you know, year or something like that. I think the variance underneath that large scale campaign, the architecture is going to be hundreds and hundreds of iterations, whereas in the past, it might have only been a handful. Yeah. And, and just to give you an example of that, of what is now possible that wasn't before, we're working with a, a large um, gaming company that is releasing a new product. And one of the big challenges they used to have, and they, they still had, and they were just fascinated by how this kind of technology can help them, is when they released a new game or a gaming console, of course, you know, much like movies and TV shows, it's driven by reviews, right? So you want to sell and offer those games. You know, the reviews usually come out within a few weeks of the game being released. And if they're, if they're good, uh, you want those reviews in your ads and in your uh, video content and all of that. But they used to have to wait because the review would come out and then they'd tell the creative agency, hey, we need to incorporate this review in the creative. They'd be like, oh, it's going to take us three weeks. And by three weeks, they've lost that time window where the maximum impact happens. And then, of course, there's other reviews that are coming along the way. So there's a deep level of frustration with the process because they couldn't respond to that. And that's just one of many, many examples where the agility and the speed at which you can change your messaging competitively in telcos, you know, they're constantly competing on special offers and price and they see their competitor offer an iPhone for three months with no payments or whatever. Right away, literally overnight, you want to be able to change your messaging to reflect that, but you can't because you're waiting on someone to change the creative and edit this and change that. And it's, it's a very, very slow and painful process. And then by the time you do it, the window of opportunity has gone by. 
So what would be your advice to companies that are trying to figure out how to adapt during these times? How would you structure these campaigns? What are the things that you see uh, the best practices of people on your platform? Yeah, so first off, I would say, you know, you know, COVID-19 and all this stuff that's happened has been very challenging and difficult for brands. And I think, you know, as they kind of struggle to kind of get through that, the one thing I would say is it is also a tremendous opportunity to reinvent a lot of the processes that were getting in the way that perhaps, you know, I mean, I don't think any of these ideas are new by, by any stretch of imagination. They, they have been around. It's just been organizationally and otherwise difficult to do because things were fine, right? So if it's not broken, why, why fix it? Right now, COVID-19 has broken a lot of things. So I think the, uh, it actually is in some ways empowering marketers to do things that they've always wanted to do. I think, you know, for example, the e-commerce driven sales and one-to-one marketing is incredibly important. And it's not that it wasn't important, they didn't know it was important. Now you have to do it. And I think that means that investments to do that will be a little easier to come by within marketing teams. The idea of bringing technology expertise into marketing has also always been there, but it's now becoming an imperative to do it. So I do think that while it has been very challenging for marketers and I have conversations with them every week about, um, you know, how to deal with this disruption to to what they were doing. And I try to talk to them about also seeing it as an opportunity to make the right investments so that they are set up going forward. So whether it's reinventing and re-examining the way content and creative are produced where technology can bring tremendous uh, scale and cost savings and agility, it's better use of data. Um, You know, a lot of marketers are relying on very, very uh, inaccurate third-party driven data, which was not privacy compliant and so on and so forth. So now is a good time to focus on the data they already have. Most brands have tremendous amounts of very precise data that consumers have given them permission to use, but they haven't been using it that much, right? Because they've been relying on agencies heavily to do a lot of the basics of marketing. So, you know, data, content, uh, adoption of and use of technology to provide cost savings and ROI. I think these are all significant opportunities, and I think smart marketers will see this as an opportunity to transform their organizations, transform their business, and ultimately deliver significant value to their brands. And I think I think we'll see a bit of a shakeout of winners and losers as companies would go forward because the companies that actually see this as an opportunity invest in it heavily and come out ahead will come out way ahead. So yeah, uh, that's, those are the kinds of conversations I've been having with uh, many brands. I know you don't have a, a crystal ball here, but if you had one prediction going forward, what would it be? I think that um, we will see a very, very significant reinvestment of marketing dollars away from traditional, not just traditional media, because that's been happening for some time, but even traditional styles of marketing, which is just more brand awareness and things like that, to very, very precise and one-to-one marketing. I think I think that's something that every brand has got to embrace and do really well. 
everybody's talked about it, but very few have actually done it. And I, I, so my view is that's the future of marketing. It's one-to-one, it's precise, it's relevant, and um, I think it will happen. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. We love Salesforce. They've been here since the very beginning of this podcast. Salesforce.com slash marketing. Check them out. Lightning round questions. Diaz, are you ready? Yes. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? The app uh, with the most fun is actually a uh, karaoke app that I've been testing uh, with my colleagues at work. A lot of karaoke happening uh, at the offices or at the virtual offices? Lighthearted uh, with all the crazy stuff going on around. What's your favorite karaoke go-to song? Oh boy, uh, that's a tough one. Um, I can't think of one right now. <laughs> Is there a habit that you've picked up during shelter in place? I did actually, and it was something that I used to do a while ago, and uh, and uh, stopped for a while. Is uh, actually, I did go and uh, with our kids and replant our our uh, vegetable garden, which. Uh, I've been thinking about it for a while, and uh, I'm hoping it will be a habit that continues each year. Do you have a hidden talent or passion? Hidden talent or passion is actually cooking, and I did a lot of that uh, thanks to COVID. I've been trying all kinds of new recipes and uh, you know, uh, having fun with it, uh, getting our kids into it. Uh, we actually also are having some cooking sessions online at work, uh, and finding a lot of hidden talent there too. Favorite recipe? Oh, um, yeah. Well, uh, a, a quick one that I, I, uh, learned and I, you know, it's one of those things that I've always thought oh, I should figure that out, but is, uh, orange chicken, Chinese orange chicken. Oh yeah. Turns out it's actually a lot easier than it looks. So yeah, I've been uh, doing that and the kids love it. Actually, the kids were buying the packaged version, which I didn't care for that much. So I said, okay, I got to figure this out. And I did. And it's quick, easy, good weekday uh, meal to whip up. Or if you just don't want to spend that much time cooking, it's a good one. Obviously, you know a lot of uh, marketing leaders, but I'm curious, what would be your best advice for a first-time CEO? Well, first-time CEO, uh, especially uh, if you're starting a company is, you know, I think as much as you think about the opportunity that you're pursuing as an entrepreneur, uh, you want to think about your team, you know, no matter how bright and capable you think you are, you're not going to be able to build a successful company without a fantastic team. And I think that's something I've been very privileged to have in all three of my companies, but putting a lot of thought into it, and building a fantastic team is the secret to success. And, and, you know, I spend a good amount of my time, even today, over 180 employees in the company finding great talent. Uh, and I, I see that as actually probably my most important job, because if I do that right, then everything else seems to fall in place well. Well, that's it. That's all we got for today. Any, uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? I guess my final thought would be, you know, it's been a tough couple of months for everybody in the world, but uh, I think there's lots of reasons to be optimistic. I think we've always been able to get through challenges by just, you know, uh, having a sense of optimism, having a, you know, being innovative, being creative, all of which we have done. 
So I would just encourage anyone listening to this to say, hey, we can either despair at uh, what's going on or we can, you know, um, get up and uh, get to work and put on our creative mats. And I think that positive, optimistic mindset has gotten us through some of the worst things we've been through. And I'm very confident well this time too. Couldn't agree more. Thanks so much. Appreciate you coming on the on the podcast and best of luck, Dias. Great. Thanks, Ian. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.